Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you're well always, always, always. Today is a special day. It is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Now, I know in the new calendar, Novus Ordo, it's February 22nd, but it began on January 18th initially, and I'll read you the history of it. It's a very, very um, holy day, and um, uh, we need to know our history, especially uh, in today, where much of that is the attempt is to destroy it. So let me read this to you. I'm actually reading from the website of simplycatholic.com. <clears throat> um, and it says, The chair of St. Peter symbolizes the authority of St. Peter. Chair symbolizes authority, just as it did in Moses' day. Um, it symbolizes the authority of St. Peter and his successors who have served the Church of Jesus Christ as the Bishop of Rome, which is the Pope. As a matter of fact, in Rome, St. Peter's Basilica, there is a chair enshrined in the sumptuous altar of the chair of St. Peter by the great architect Bernini, but it is a symbol representing the 2,000-year-old papacy and unity the Pope continues to bring to Catholics around the world. We pray that he continues to bring that to Catholics around the world. Without such unity, the Church would splinter into numerous sects and divisions. And I've said recently, and maybe numerous times, that there's no unity apart from truth. So there are beginning splits in the Church right now because of all the confusion. But truth always brings unity. Cathedra, every year, is is uh, the Latin word for chair. Ex cathedra means out of the chair of Peter. Ex cathedra Petros. So every year on February 22nd in the Novus Ordo, the Church celebrates the continuing role of the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, beginning with St. Peter. The use of the term chair in the feast day comes from the Latin term cathedra. Some pronounce it cathedra, meaning the seat of government. But how did such a feast day ever get started? We need to go back to the time of Jesus for the answer. According to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus asks the twelve apostles, Who do you say that I am? Matthew sixteen fifteen. The only response Jesus acknowledged was that of Peter, who said that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Jesus, in turn, said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, my heavenly Father did. And Peter's answer is heavenly inspired. And from that point, Peter is singled out among the apostles to be the rock of Christ's church on earth. According to Jesus, the church will be so rock solid that the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. Later, following the resurrection, Jesus confirms Peter's primacy 
over the other apostles as well as authority over his church. He gives Peter the keys to the kingdom, telling him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, John chapter 21. This authority, this responsibility given to Peter is meant to be passed on to each of his successors. Jesus did not intend for the church to end with Peter. St. Peter quietly begins to take on the role assigned by Christ, beginning in the upper room. Pope Benedict XVI, God rest his soul, writes in his book, Holiness is Always in Season, published by Ignatius Press, quote, So what was the chair of St. Peter? This is the writing of Pope Benedict XVI. What was the chair of St. Peter? Chosen by Christ as the rock on which to build the church, he began his ministry in Jerusalem after the ascension of the Lord and Pentecost. The church's first seat was the upper room, and it is likely that a special place was reserved to Simon Peter in that room where Mary, mother of Jesus, also prayed with the disciples. Even before Pentecost, Peter orchestrated the selection of Matthias to replace Judas, which was the first apostolic succession. Peter preached on that day of Pentecost and was so inspirational that 3,000 people were baptized after listening to him, Acts chapter 2. He was the first apostle to be given the grace to perform a miracle, curing the lame man at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3. King Herod Agrippa had Peter arrested and shackled in prison between two guards, but an angel of the Lord saved him, Acts 12. Peter's decisive speech at the Council of Jerusalem in A.D. 50 resolved the debate there, Acts chapter 15 at the first Jerusalem Council, that he was singled out for a special role among all the apostles as is indisputable. Around A.D. 34, Peter went to Antioch and established there a seat or chair of government. Antioch was a major metropolitan city of the ancient world with a diverse population and was the place where Christ's followers were first called Christians. Peter remained there for seven years, and the church would acknowledge his work in Antioch by establishing the Feast of St. Peter's Chair in Antioch, celebrated on now, February 22nd every year. That feast remained on the Catholic liturgical calendar until the 20th century. Next, Peter went to Rome, the center of the civilized world. Peter's efforts there would identify him as the first bishop of Rome, gifted by God and respected by man, he would continue his role as leader of all the church, and as a result, was the first pope in A.D. 68. He was crucified by Emperor Nero. His feast day, originally called the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter in Rome, began in the 4th century. It was held on January 18th, today, as that was believed to be the day when Peter gave his first homily in Rome. At some point before the 16th century, before the 16th century Protestant revolt, the feast was combined with the Feast of St. Peter's Chair in Antioch, 
When Martin Luther revolted from the church, Protestant heretics made the absurd claim that Peter was never in Rome, and thus he could not have been the bishop of Rome. History, beloved, shows that Peter was in Rome and was crucified in Rome. Consequently, in Protestant opinion, there could be no pope as claimed by Catholic, the Catholic Church. In order to reject this false Protestant challenge, Pope Paul V, living in the 16th century, reinstituted the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter in Rome in 1558. As a result, for 400 years, the Church celebrated two feast days regarding the Chair of Peter. One feast reflected on Peter's role in Antioch, the other on his role in Rome. In 1962, Pope John XXIII combined the two feasts into one, which is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, held February 22nd each year. And again, yet in the, in the um, uh, Roman canon, it is yet today, on the 18th of January. On this feast day, the Universal Church acknowledges that St. Peter was the first pope and that his mission continues through the Holy Father today simply stated that mission is to care for the people of God, to carry on the customs, rituals, teachings, and truths of Jesus, and to uphold the unity of his church. Moreover, the church proclaims that the authority given to St. Peter by our Lord has been handed down to Peter's successors for the past 2,000 years. This day is not just about apostolic succession in respect to the Pope and the bishops. Among the laity, it symbolizes an unspoken confidence that the Church of Jesus does not change from age to age, that the truths of the gospel still form the basis of our faith, that these eternal truths are reflected in every Catholic parish and in every Mass. It is a confidence that the leader of our church adheres to and will never deny the precepts and principles of the church of Jesus. We firmly believe that we are part of the mystical body of Christ, a holy people, a holy priesthood. In the late 4th century, St. Jerome wrote to Pope Damasus I, quote, he said, St. Jerome said, I follow no leader but Christ and join in communion with none but your blessedness, meaning Pope Damasus I, that is, with the chair of Peter. I know that this is the rock on which the church has been built. Whoever eats the lamb outside this house is profane. Anyone who is not in the ark of Noah will perish when the flood prevails. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We will, um, uh, let's go today, and we'll take your calls and your texts and your emails early. We'll come back and begin to take them right after the second, right after this break, because of we had two days the last week with the fun drive. We couldn't take your calls and emails, and then I was gone on Monday. So we'll, we'll start early today. Call in with anything at all on your heart, toll free, one 877 511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com and we'll be right back. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as the Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. At your church, there's probably some great music, enthusiastic clapping, and maybe even a shout or an amen. But where's the church-wide act of contrition and the confessing of sins? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible and the church. Psalm 47 does declare, shout unto God. It does say, clap your hands, all you people. But there's one more highly valuable physical expression. Strike the chest. What's that? Three times your fist strikes your chest for external admission that my sins were my fault. Secondly, order of the mass. Within the first 60 seconds of a Mass, the congregation says together, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Each of those are followed by my firm strike upon my chest. And my take out of Luke 18 says, But the corrupt tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow. Proper order is confession before praise, sorrow before joy. And this makes sense. Why? Because remember what mom said, dinner first, then dessert. So don't forget to strike. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live today, and I'm thrilled to be with you in our lines. Phone lines are wide open, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, and uh, let's see now. Toll-free is one 511 or email at Um We had an email from Ron uh, yesterday, um, and I we ran out of time at the end of the program, and I promised that I would begin with Ron's email today. Ron, I'm going to read it through. It's a beautiful email, and your spirit of of uh, humility and and love is shine and respect shines through. And I want to tell you that my heart completely agrees with you before I read it. But I cannot make this judgment about the SSPX. Ron says, Dear Mother Miriam, thank you so much for your show. I very much appreciate your faith and your wealth of knowledge. I would like to disagree with you, however, about the SSPX. Your advice a few weeks ago was to find another Latin Mass and not to attend an SSPX Mass. That's the Society 
of St. Pius X. This was based, I believe, on words from Cardinal Berg, yes. Um, Ron says, who I also respect immensely. Many people have no non-SPX Latin masses available, especially since Pope Francis issued Traditionis Custodis. Surely these people should not be confined to the Novus Ordo, especially a non-reverent Novus Ordo Mass. Um, Ron, my heart agrees with you, um, but I, I can't make this judgment. He goes on to say, Bishop Schneider, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who I think we are both in agreement uh, with, is a very holy prelate. Indeed, he is. He was chosen to be a visitor to the SSPX in 2015. In his book, Christus Vincit, Diane Montagna asked regarding the SSPX, quote, do you think they will come back in full communion, whatever that means? End quote. And Bishop Athanasius' response was, full communion is not the correct expression in my view. They are already in communion with the church. Since they recognize the Pope, mention him in the canon, pray for him publicly, and pray for the local diocesan bishop. The SSPX has received faculties for absolution from the Pope, and the priest of the SSPX may now obtain faculties from the diocesan bishop or from the parish priest, parish priest canonically to assist at marriages. Full recognition is better than the expression, Bishop says, full communion, because the members of the SSPX are not excommunicated. Later, he said, in my opinion, the SSPX should be recognized, and if they were, it would be a true spiritual and pastoral help to the entire church to strengthen doctrine and tradition in the church. The SSPX offers good priestly formation. In addition, Ron says, you recently read... uh, um, Yes, in addition, now Ron speaking, I was quoting Bishop Athanasius Snyder before, in addition, you recently read Michael's Matt's childhood Christmas family tradition story. Matt was raised, formed, and catechized with the SSPX. The SSPX has certainly had a wonderful influence in, on Michael Matt's life, indeed. Finally, you have mentioned the good works of Angelus Press. That's right. Angelus Press is run by the SSPX. I know that, Ron, as well. Ron says, I hope you will reconsider your advice about the SSPX, especially since many bishops are reducing or even eliminating the available Latin masses in their diocese. Thank you, and God bless, Ron. Ron, um... I'm going to try to write Cardinal Burke and perhaps Father Gerald Murray, who I also know and greatly respect, the two wonderful canon lawyers of the church, um, both of whom have um, not yet said that the SSPX is in full communion. Um, And so, uh, no, they're not excommunicated. Bishop Athanasius Snyder is correct. I just had a thought reading it, Ron. Again, I'm not going to make a statement against Cardinal Cardinal Burke's judgment or Father Murray's because they are priests and canon lawyers, and I'm not. I'm neither. Um, I just had a thought, dear Ron, as I read this. Um, I don't know 
what authority the Holy Father has over the SSPX if they're not considered in full communion with the church. If they were, he may have the power to shut them down. I don't know. Um, Just as he has limited um, the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, and others, um, he may come against them. Maybe now they're independent because they are in some kind of irregular canonical status. I don't know. It may be God's protection in a way. Their masses are valid. And if we don't have another mass to go to, we are allowed to go to the SSPX. And whether to go to the SSPX in lieu of an irreverent novus ordo... um, I know I'm I'm saying this over the air and I don't want to be disobedient to the church but I would I would probably go to the SSPX as well or try at least to um urge a good holy priest to celebrate mass underground secretly that would be the better solution at the moment um and I I've mentioned before Pope Benedict the 16th um has said during his lifetime that he believes that during our lifetime the church will go underground. I think it needs to begin that now. We have an email from Chris. Dear Mother, I'm currently living with my partner, unmarried, and we are expecting our fourth child together. I I also have two daughters with another woman, um that I don't see or speak to because I thought it best that they stay together in their new family with their stepdad who has raised them and their new siblings. My three children that live with me do not know their sisters exist. I am in great sin and have lived as if God does not exist. I have started to pray the rosary here and there and attend mass sporadically, just trying to find God. I do not know what to do with my life and have not received the Eucharist in more than 10 years. Please, what should I do? Chris, God bless you for refraining from the Eucharist. That would be a tremendous sin in your state. Um, You know that you're in great sin, and I bless God for that because it's only the grace of God that could show that to you and that could give you any desire to be reconciled with the church. Um, I would uh, beg you to find a Latin parish, Chris, and to find the priest of that parish. I could say a novus ordo. I could say go to any church. It's just that you don't know what you're going to come across in a novus ordo church. It could be reverent and wonderful. If I knew where you lived, we might be able to recommend a good church to you. Um, if you wish, you could call Catholic Answers, catholic.com, on the web. It'll give you their number, and you can ask them, um, tell them where you live, and they might be able to direct you to a good Novus Auto church. But outside of that, I would say find a Latin parish if you can, and speak directly to the priest, tell him your situation, and say you would like to come home and to receive instruction and he will help you. It's the only way for you to move forward, Chris, and the only way for you to be in heaven. And then, if you're living with a partner, uh, of course you'll go to confession and you'll repent all that. God is waiting for you and he will forgive you. But when you go home, you must be celibate. You must not 
continue to have relations um, with your partner, um, um, I'm hoping a woman, um, unless she too would convert, if she will not. Um, uh, but if she agrees to raise the children Catholic, it is possible that your marriage could be uh, raised to the level of a sacrament, that you could be married within the church as long as you are Catholic and your partner would agree, I hate the word partner, to raise your children Catholic, which means you'll have the brunt of raising them. Um, in order for you to have your marriage in the church, she must agree to um, the laws of chastity in the church, and you would not be able to be intimate with her if she's not Catholic, which means both of you will live a life of celibacy unless she converts. And you must have your three children baptized and raise them as Catholics, Chris. Don't despair. God's grace, he is willing that none perish. It is powerful. And if you follow through with honoring God and the path he's already brought you on, he can do a miracle by the change in your life, in your own partner's life, and in the lives of your children. God bless you, Chris. And I ask all of our listeners to pray for Chris. Don't delay. Don't plan to visit a priest. Run today. Don't wait. We have an email from one who writes in anonymously and says, Hi, Mother. I'm in need of advice. I am a wife and mother of three young children under eight. I recently found out that my husband had an affair. I know he has some deep sexual brokenness. And since I came back to the faith and started believing in openness to life, it has put restrictions on our sexual life. And he obviously could not do it. It's not that he could not do it. It's that he will not do it. We are willing to work together. That's very good. I commend you. I believe in marriage in our Catholic faith. I'm looking for guidance on handling this situation. I deeply trust you and your guidance. Thank you, Mother. God bless. Dear one, um, it sounds that you have, you said you've come back to the faith. I don't know what sort of church you're attending, but whatever that church is, if it's a reverent novus order with a holy priest or a Latin parish, go to your priest and um, uh, ask him, um, well, first your husband, first your husband, dear, and tell him that um, you love him and that you have married him till death. Do you part? Not until uh, failure in chastity do you part. Till death do you part. So I commend you for wanting to work it out and him as well. Um, he has a problem uh, he has sexual brokenness. You know it. He knows it. Um, tell him you love him. You never want to be separated from him. You want to raise your children together and spend a life together. Would he be willing to meet with your priest and to speak with him? And give that a first step, sweetheart. And if not, or even if so, look for a good Catholic uh, psychologist not psychiatrist, but psychologist who can work with him on, on these issues which come from a wounded life. So do that. Be very kind and loving uh, and compassionate 
to your husband and be very heroic in your emotions and your marriage. God bless you, dear one. There's the music for our second break, beloved. We have a half hour together. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media Saint of the Day for January 18th. Today we celebrate St. Charles of Setzi. Some people go through life doing good deeds that attract attention. Others, like St. Charles of Setzi, just do good deeds. Born southeast of Rome in 1613, Charles was inspired by some of the early followers of Francis to become a Franciscan himself. In his autobiography, The Grandeurs of the Mercies of God, Charles explained, Our Lord put in my heart a great desire to be poor and to beg alms for his love. The young friar got his wish. He served as a cook, sacristan, gardener, and beggar at various friaries in Italy. As doorkeeper, he was kept busy distributing food to the needy. But the more he gave away, the more alms increased. Charles also was sought for spiritual advice. One such person was Pope Clement IX, who called for the friar to his deathbed for a final blessing. On the surface, little in the life of today's saint was noteworthy. But if we go deeper, we see that his entire life was spectacular in his utter cooperation with God's grace. St. Charles of Setsi died in 1670. Pope John XXIII canonized him in 1959. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, and we are here, and I'm so happy that we can be together. And again, we have a full half hour. You're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at <clears throat> We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Dear Mo- Dearest Mother Miriam, I have some very serious spiritual battles in my life at this time and need your honest and holy guidance. I thank God for you. Thank you, dear one. I began listening to you on Immaculate Heart Radio during my conversion. I came into the church in 2009. You have made such a difference in my life. Your courageous sound and holy advice has led me to homeschool my children beginning in 2021. Blessed be God. Helped my marriage and continues to encourage me through very trying times. I'm very conservative and a traditional Catholic. 
Your advice on serious family situations is very much needed. My only sister, or half-sister, as we have different fathers, is married to a wonderful soul raised in a very strict Jehovah's Witness home, resulting in his rebellion and dabbling in the occult. I'm very sensitive to being around people who are involved in such things and cannot get away from them fast enough, even to the point of feeling nauseous and getting headaches. But this is not the case around my sister's husband. He lives a very misguided and extraordinarily sinful life in regards to his sexual morality and has led my sister to join him in this regard. Oh, that's too bad. He has 666 tattooed on his chest, which was supposedly done as a rebellious joke, and he decorates his home with pentagrams and other occult symbols. However, he is unusually thoughtful and kind and makes good moral choices in many other areas of his life, especially when it comes to being a good father to his children. I have to disagree right away. If you're living in sexual immorality, and you have 666 tattooed on you, and you've got pentagrams and other occult symbols around the house, you're not a good father to your children. Absolutely not. That, that's, that can't be separate from who you are and how you raise them and what they see. This one writes, If I did not know about his private life, thanks to my sister's openness, I would see him as a wonderful person that I would be happy to call my brother. We have wonderful conversations about gardening, parenting, cooking, um, Tolkien books, and other positive things we share in common. After several years of being estranged from my sister, who was raised with no belief or knowledge of God and claims to be an atheist, but has an obvious resentment toward a God she does not understand, <clears throat> she has come back into my life. Our sons are 11 years old and were born only a day and a half apart from each other, that you and your sister's sons, and our daughters are one year apart, ages seven and eight, and absolutely adore each other. I love my niece and nephew very much. They are wonderful, sweet children who seem to really enjoy being around me and are respectful of my Catholic faith and the sacramentals they see when they are with me, which are very foreign to them. My sister is a bleeding heart liberal who wants to protect those she sees as victims because society does not accept them. She spends time with friends who are polyamorous, sex workers, and belong to the LBGTQ plus community. I have been praying for her conversion fervently for years. I occasionally see glimmers of hope and have great faith that through Our Lady, our Lord Jesus Christ continues to perform miracles. <coughs> Apparently, dearest, these are, this is a lengthy email, but I know when I read one such email, the, the writer is not alone. I know there are many struggling with similar things. She continues, My niece and nephew want to spend more time with my children. I do not want to reject them. Like them, I was ignorant of God as a child. I had a good heart which was open to God once I received the blessing of being introduced to him by my Catholic future husband. I cannot speak to my niece and nephew about God much in front of my sister, who becomes very defensive. 
the one time we visited her new home where she lives with her husband and children. My son, who is very devout and spiritually sensitive, was going to use the restroom in her bedroom as the other restroom was occupied. He told me on the drive he could not go into her room because there were demons in my sister's bedroom and he knew there was more than one. I believed him and it was awful to hear. I do not want to be afraid, but I do not want to be foolish either. I know demons can do nothing without God's permissive will, and all things work for the good to those who love God. At times I feel spiritually attacked after praying for my sister and her family, and my son has been attacked too. I am an avid follower of Father Ripiger and have his deliverance prayer book, which I use carefully in accordance with the natural laws of authority. I'm very blessed to know a traditional priest from whom I have been able to get blessed and exercise salt, oil, properly blessed, holy water, and St. Benedict medals. These prayers and sacramentals have helped, but my family and I still seem to suffer spiritual attacks. I want to suffer well and accept these attacks as God is allowing them, but I question how much I should allow my sister and her family into our life and home. We cannot escape spiritual warfare in this life. Just a few days ago, I had a friend's six-year-old daughter over to visit my daughter. Her grandparents are lukewarm Catholics, but her parents are not Catholic. She was dropped off at my house to play with her parents to play without her parents. During our visit, this little girl was telling me her great-grandmother had given her a cursed toy for Christmas and that it was telling her she had a monster inside of her. I later found out it is a magic eight ball. She said it scared her, but continues to play with it. This same little girl plays pretend that she is a witch. I was upset to hear her talking this way, but felt compassion for her little soul. I gave her a rosary and a little picture book with the images of the mysteries of the rosary, along with a prayer card with a lovely image of St. Therese. I told her about the saints, our friends in heaven, who can help us and pray for us. I told her she should not talk to scary spirits and stay close to what is beautiful, holy, true, and of God. I told her to hold the rosary I gave her and asked Jesus' beautiful Mother Mary to help her when she feels scared. Another sweet little neighbor girl whom my daughter looks up to is a Harry Potter fan and emulates the witchy female character from that story. We are just surrounded with evil in this pagan world. Sometimes I want to stand and fight without retreat, but other days I'm exhausted and I wish I could completely withdraw and hide my family away from the world. My husband is a good man. He introduced me to the Catholic faith, but was raised in the 1970s church, was poorly catechized, and does not realize the seriousness of the spiritual battles going on around us. He is learning more very slowly, but we have another battle in our marriage as he wants to go to the Novus Ordo Mass, where he feels comfortable and wants to be with our parish community, and my son and I want to go to the Latin Mass. My 11-year-old son cries every time we go to the Novus Ordo Mass at our home parish, and he asks his father to receive kneeling and on the tongue, but he refuses. 
My husband has agreed to go to the Latin Mass at another parish with us once a month, albeit begrudgingly. Dearest Mother Miriam, please advise me on how to best handle the situation with my sister and her family, especially regarding my children and hers, my husband and I being divided over which Mass to attend, and the poor little godless souls my children encounter in our neighborhood and community. God bless you always, Mother. Oh my goodness, Um, that's quite an email, and you've included several things that others um, are are struggling with. Uh, Briefly, you need to speak with your sister that you absolutely love her and you love her children and her husband. You want to be together as family, but because they dabble in the occult and um, um, sexually, the scriptures say if we... um, uh, have union with somebody who's uh, other and not in Christ, we have union with Satan, the devil, Belial. Say to her, I'm not judging you. I absolutely love you. I don't even blame you for the life you've had and the choices you're making. But God has led us differently and he's led me differently. And I do believe in God and I do believe in Christ and I do believe in his church and and the moral principles. Um, my son is afraid to go to the bathroom in your bedroom because somehow he has a sensed demons in there. I'm not saying there are demons. I'm not saying there's not. But there's fear coming to your house. And if there are demons in their bedroom, you may not know it. You may not believe it. But your lifestyle will, will have let them in to your house. Um, I'm not judging you. I I can't make these decisions, but with all my heart, I love you, and I need to tell you that we cannot come to your house anymore. You can come to ours, your children can come to ours, but we cannot come to your house with Pentecost and, and you know the the welcoming of evil. We just cannot do that. I, I, we don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be, but I cannot expose my children to that. It will kill me if this separates us, but. We cannot. I must protect my children. I must do that. So you're welcome to come to us, but we cannot come to you to visit anymore. We get together for the holidays. We'll get together at at our house, not yours. So do it as lovingly with as broken a heart as you can, but you must not take your children to that house anymore. As far as the little children coming over, um... If you allow them over, they may not bring any dolls or items or anything with them whatsoever. And you need to continue to give them the rosary and teach them the faith. If their parents will not let you teach them the faith when they come over, they may not come over. Um, not teach them the faith as sit down in class, but talk about God. If their parents refuse your talking with their grandparents, talking about God, they cannot come into your house because that's your conversation. Um, and they may not bring a doll or a toy or anything at all with them. Zero. They just tell the people when the children come to the house, they can play with our toys. We cannot allow toys to be brought into our house. Um, and if they ask why, 
you can say because the, this one doll was cursed and um, making the child feel that she's cursed inside and, and she may be, I don't know. And the other little girl, I forget what you said, uh, she plays with. So if the children come in, um, they need to come in without any toys whatsoever except what you give them. Well, what if it's a baseball bat and a ball? Ball, no. If it comes from their house, no. They will. You will supply the toys when they come over. And if there's still more problems, you have to forbid them from coming over. It would be nice to not have to forbid them because this way you can maybe help them learn the love and forgiveness of God. Um, as far as your family now and your husband, uh, I would beg him, not just ask him, I would beg him uh, to go minimum of twice a month to the Latin Church, and you'll go minimum of twice a month to the Novus Ordo. Um, and the only way that your heart could give any leeway is if you will respect his son's request and at least kneel and receive our Lord on the tongue at the Novus Ordo. If he cannot make that adjustment, then you're going to go to the Latin Mass. You should keep the peace in the family, but so don't threaten him. But say we beg you to at least make that adjustment to show reverence for Christ and receive him on the tongue, hopefully kneeling. Just gradually. Don't split the family. Stay together, but gradually. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the Station on the Cross. I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station on the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. The Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I grew up Catholic Church, haven't been in the Catholic Church for decades, but I'm in the process of working my way back for the simple reason that I needed a place to listen to pro-life, pro-family messages, Catholic radio is it. It's a place to hear that message without all the political bias and all that that's going on on News Talk Radio. It changed my life. It's the only station I turn on. The Catholic station is an answer to prayer. It, it couldn't be more fulfilling. It's helped me learn more about the faith, and it's helped me to deepen my faith as a result of that. It's on continuously in my house, day and night. You can't imagine how much I receive from that channel. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have 10 minutes. Our lines are still open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, dear ones. Toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Paul. Paul writes, Dear Mother Miriam, please explain how the wonderful benefits of Divine Mercy Sunday eliminate the need for our time in purgatory. Thank you, and God bless your efforts in spreading the true Catholic faith, Paul. Paul, your, your statement's a little bit misleading. Um, they, they free us from all uh, sin and temporal effects of sin on Divine Mercy Sunday. But if we sin after that, we're not freed for our time in purgatory. Uh, uh, our Lord said to St. Faustina in her diary, My daughter, tell the whole world about my inconceivable mercy. I desire that the Feast of Mercy be a refuge and shelter for all souls, and especially for poor sinners. <clears throat> I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the font of my mercy. And in three places in her diary, she says this, I want to grant a complete pardon to the souls that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion on the Feast of My Mercy. Um, On the Feast of My Mercy, that's Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday following Easter. And then whoever approaches the fountain of life on this day will be granted complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. Punishment is for the temporal effects, the un- uh, expiated temporal effects, excuse me, um, of our sins is what purgatory is for. Um, and so um, this is is completely paid for and done. The soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion will obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. So, um, and for those who don't understand uh, the difference between uh, uh, temporal and eternal punishment. Our Lord died for the punishment, not the punishment, the sin that separated us from God 100%. It is finished on the cross. He died for all. Um, and when we're baptized, we're completely clean. But we need to expiate, to atone, not for the eternal effects of our sins that separate us from God, which Jesus alone did and could do, but for the temporal effects of our sin. Um, so if we hurt someone's feelings, um, we, we, we may go to confession and confess that and we're forgiven. But we also need to make some kind of restitution to the person whom we hurt on earth. And that is the temporal effects of our sin, how we hurt one another. And we need to make that reparation. And if we haven't done it on earth, then we do it in purgatory. Um, and again, purgatory is only for those on saved, forgiven sinners who die in a state of grace, but yet have temporal sins, who haven't paid for the window they broke yet, even though they've been forgiven. So, um, so absolutely, Paul. However, 
if we, whatever we, sins we commit following Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, if we don't, if we're not forgiven for them, if we don't expiate them, if we don't do penance, then we will spend that in purgatory. So up to Divine Mercy Sunday, we leave the church and we're free. And if we die at that moment, straight to heaven and no purgatory. But but since Divine Mercy Sunday, we would have to be totally free from sin. We have an email from somebody, um, again, writing in anonymously. And beloved, you can always write in anonymously. You can call in anonymously. Um, um, because there are people who, um, for many reasons, do not want to be identified um, some people are calling in on very personal issues, and they don't want their spouse or their children or the friends they may be calling in about to know that. Um, and some may, may be embarrassed to have their names online. It's just not an issue. It's the same way that you can go to a confession and anonymously stay behind the screen. You never have to say who you are. God wants us to be helped. It doesn't matter that we're known or not. That's not an issue. So if you feel free or calling in and just being anonymous, that's fine. If you write in and you want to be anonymous, it's just not an issue. There's nothing wrong with you. Nothing at all. Uh, but it gives you the freedom to say what you may not otherwise have. Um, and so this uh, individual says, I'm so sick in every way over this. I am an adult woman and had an intimate relationship with a priest. I went to the church for RCIA during COVID. A class was not being offered, but the priest offered personal instruction. We became friends in the process. Most of what we discussed was woke ideology and social justice issues, which he is a strong proponent of. Thankfully, I was doing a lot of reading and research into the Catholic faith on my own. Anyway, <clears throat> I now see how inappropriate this relationship was and a violation of boundaries, but at that time I did not. That's almost unthinkable that someone would not know it's wrong to have a relationship with a priest. I can't even imagine someone not thinking that. I think due to my coming from the world and worldly values, a low bar, and my dysfunctional personal history. I don't distrust what you're saying, but it's, it's amazing. I confided in him, told him all of my deeply troubled past. The day I entered into the church, he asked me to meet him fo the following day for a celebratory lunch and that I should bring a thank you gift of a nice wine for him. Oh my goodness. I want to tell you this is strictly demonic. This isn't a misguided, sinful priest. It is demonic. <clears throat> you should bring a thank you gift for a nice wine for him? He should, oh my goodness. He insisted we ride together, and in the car he reached over and touched me inappropriately, I'm not going to describe the words she has here, and told me that he wanted an intimate relationship. He said priests have needs, and that if I said anything, there would not be a priest for four churches, because churches enlarge, if, he, if I said anything, 
there would not be a priest for four churches because there is a severe shortage of priests. He's the only priest for four churches in a large radius. He brought up systemic racism as well and how a complaint by me would be viewed. He also said that my husband, oh, come on. He also said that my husband, family, and neighbors would find out about my past history and would be shamed. He said that priests have sexual needs and that the priest priest celibacy is not dogma. I have a history that made me vulnerable, Mother Miriam. I went along with him and gave him sex and money or gifts he wanted for almost two years. After a year, I held my ground on no sex but continued to give him money when he asked until a couple of months ago. I no longer asked his co- answer his calls or text. The second Sunday of Advent was the last time I went to church because he would corner me there and I just could not do it anymore. Oh, I cannot stand that this is, that this is the music for our closing pro- program, but for our end of the program. My dear one, um, I can't read the, uh, the rest of your email right now. I will begin at the first email tomorrow, uh, God willing. Um, I'm in utter pain for you. Whatever you do, do not stop going to church. Find another parish. If he's the priest of four parishes, don't go near any of those parishes. Find a Latin parish. Find an outside priest and go to confession with that priest. I have other, I have other very important issues. You must also go to the bishop. Um, we'll, be, we'll see you tomorrow.